Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by natural podiatrist, Dr. Ray McClanahan. Ray and I had a really good conversation about natural foot function, what it means, how we get it, and most importantly, why natural foot function is important to us as functional human beings. Whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Ray, thank you for joining me today. How are you? Doing well, Brianne. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's a great start to the week, so no complaints. Awesome to hear it. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I'm super excited to talk to you. I've known of Correct Toes for a while. I've been using toe spacers myself for years, and I love that you think differently about the foot than most people do. So I really want to dive into that today. Um, so just kind of to start out, who are you? Yeah. Um, well, I'm a, a non-traditional sports podiatrist. I mostly treat athletes here in Portland, Oregon. In fact, mostly runners. That's kind of my passion. That's what got me into podiatry. Um, but I looked at a little bit of your bio, Brianne, and I think my, my history is a lot like yours. I was chronically injured. I, I played sports like you since a kid, played everything that was available and uh, was injured a lot of the time. I really started getting injured when I started running. Um, I saw the movie Chariots of Fire in 1983, 84. And something about that movie just moved me. I mean, I loved all the sports, but something about representing your country in the Olympics just was very emotional to me. And so I, I took training very seriously. I did everything that I thought I should have done by reading the magazines and the books and, you know, going to all the doctors and physical therapists. And um, unfortunately, a lot of that didn't work, or I should say a lot of it temporarily may have worked, um, but it wasn't a long-term fix. And so I spent the better part of 30 years taking anti-inflammatories, stretching, icing, you know, heating, basically treating chronic injury. And, uh, I'm happy to report these days after changing me, my approach, in fact, changing almost everything I used to do, nutrition, movement patterns, gait patterns, footwear. Um, I'm at a place in my life right now where I don't really get injured. You know, I get little sore things from time to time, but it's not like it used to be where I was always in the training room, always at the physical therapy office, always getting cortisone shots from the doctor, trying every different kind of orthotic, thinking there was a perfect orthotic shoe combination that I never found. Um, even when I worked for an orthotics lab, I, I didn't find that. So, so that's a bit about me. Um, I, in 1999, I would have been considered probably your traditional podiatrist making orthotics for everybody, working for an orthotics lab, doing a lot of surgeries on feet, probably 10 a week. And then I get a, I get a periodical in my office monthly called podiatry management. And it's, it's where we talk about new problems in podiatry, building issues, new resources, new technology, problem patients, and so forth. And in this particular uh, issue, it had an article called Why Shoes Make Normal Gait Impossible. And it's on my website in case you want to look at it, in case your audience members want to look at it. And at the time, I had a, a really nice treadmill in the camera with in the office with fancy cameras and watching people's gait. And um, when I read this article, I went to work the next day and I shut off the treadmill and I basically started looking at people's footwear more closely. And um, I also should tell you, in addition to my chronic injury, I had very deformed feet, even while I was operating on other, other people's deformed feet. 
but it's interesting. Uh, I had a bunion and an overlapping second toe. So my hammer toe sat on top of my bunion and about 10 times a week, I'm operating on somebody with a problem similar to mine. Uh, and unfortunately, one component of that operation is to cut the adductor hallucis muscle off of the big toe. And after doing that hundreds of times, I didn't really want to have that done on my own foot or my own feet. So I started hanging out with some physical therapists and one of them in particular uh, had a patient in the nursing home where she, I think she had fallen and broke her hip or whatever. She laid on her bed and her, even her upper body started getting contracted. And so he warmed her and he did range of motion work with her and he got a lot of her mobility back. And I remember in that moment thinking, why don't we do more of that with feet? Why don't we believe in the rehabilitative capacity of feet? Or at least why wasn't I taught that? I was taught to do what you just said, put an orthotic in the foot. And I mean, for literally every kind of foot type, we were taught there's an appropriate type of orthotic. Um, so long story short, when I read from Dr. William Rossi, it, I couldn't go back to work and do traditional podiatry. Um, it just didn't make sense to me anymore. And as an injured athlete, I wanted to be able to give my athletes the path to healing. And I found that in, in I call it natural podiatry or natural foot care. It's, it's sadly, it is exactly the opposite of what I was taught. Um, but I did learn it from Dr. Rossi. Dr. Rossi was a podiatrist, but he got made fun of until he passed away. Um, he wrote a bunch of books. He wrote a ton of articles. Four of them are on my website. If you read them, um, you'll understand the genesis of the conversation that you and I will have today. Um, he, he traveled all over the world and he did what several other researchers have done, which I found fascinating, which is to compare cultures that grow up barefoot or in sandals with cultures that wear the kind of shoes that we wear. And I grew up in Liberia, West Africa, where my friends didn't own shoes. So I watched them when we played soccer, they would run across gravel in their bare feet. And it didn't bother them at all. And I remember not even being able to stand on the gravel, let alone run on it. So I, I saw early on what natural healthy feet look like. And um, then I read Dr. Rossi. And then I realized that the problems that I had developed in my own feet were not what I was trained to believe they were in podiatry. They were not hereditary issues. They were not typically overuse issues. They were probably improper use issues. Um, there were no biomechanical issues, although I was diagnosed with several that I no longer have because my body's different now, you know. Um, so I'm a reformed podiatrist. I'm somebody that, that thinks going barefoot is a very healthful thing. And when you can't be barefoot, you should cover your feet with just a basic piece of protection. Um, and uh, thankfully, I get to pass this hopeful message on one by one, day after day, and see people heal themselves and get better. And I love that. I, I think it's great to talk to you because you've done the other way. And it's so it's not like you just like decided not to do that. You just did this own thing just because like you've done the other way and you saw differently you experience differently and then switch. So um, I think that's super important to, to recognize. Bet. One thing I'm curious about, cause we always hear like even podiatrists are telling the people. So I think that's kind of how this gets out, but it's like, you talk to one person it's like, well, I have my problem because of my flat feet. And you talk to another person is I have my problem because of high arches. Like what is it that you guys learn in school that makes like the idea that like 
low flat arches cause these issues, high arches cause these issues, and that orthotics like fixes that problem. I think what that is, is um, believe it or not, at least out in Philadelphia where I took my podiatry, the impression that I got from the curriculum, and I think it's largely the same today as I, as I work with students and residents, I think the curriculum literally teaches podiatry students and residents to believe that feet are inherently flawed. Meaning that, in fact, I've recently heard some podiatrists say that um, evolutionarily they didn't keep up with the rest of the body. And so they're weak and they're not capable and they can't support themselves. And no, what, no matter what type of an arch you have, there's some kind of orthotic that we can make for you. So um, the thing that fascinates me the most is that I never saw a picture of what natural healthy feet are like in podiatry school. You know, it was, it was the mindset that everything's flawed and feet hurt because we use them like seven to 10,000 feet steps a day. And, you know, and that's, you know, eventually they're going to break down. And so supporting them is going to be what's helpful. So I think it's basically, um, it, in my opinion, it's a flawed curriculum. It's based in it's based in allopathic medicine, Brianne. So you're probably familiar. Maybe your audience might not be. I describe this to people frequently. Podiatry wants to gain parity with the allopaths and the osteopaths. And that's even to this very day, that's kind of the political position that they like to take. And so essentially what that means is in podiatry, if we do a treatment that makes somebody feel better, we equate that with success. And I'm not at all opposed to helping somebody get rid of pain if give them an injection, give them a medicine if they need it. But um, what I like to learn is why did they get that problem to begin with and educate them to address those features so that if we are going to treat them, they're not going to get the same problem once we're done treating them. So when you look at naturopathic philosophy, though, one of their five tenets, one of their principles is totally cause them. So always try to find the cause. You know, don't, don't just treat the dysfunction and the pain, try to find out why. And uh, so that's kind of the, the way I look at my version of podiatry, natural podiatry. I, I, so if you were to come to my clinic, I start the conversation showing baby footprints. And I, they're of my daughters and a lot of the people coming in to see me think I'm a proud dad. That's why I'm showing my kids footprints. But realistically, what I'm showing is when we come into the world, most of us in America have natural feet, meaning at birth, our, the widest part of our feet is at the tips of our toes. If you go abroad like I've been, you go to see the older people in Africa and the jungles, their foot still is that shape. It's widest at the tips of the toes. Um, I show my baby shoes, which are widest at the tips of the toes. But then I go into the conversation about what starts happening at about age three in America, Canada, Europe, some parts of Asia, we start having little children stand on these metal measuring devices called the Brannock device. So you get your overall number of your, how long your foot is. And, and then you get the width measurement of your foot. The problem with the width measurement is they measure it at the ball of your foot. And so brand new piece of information number one for most of the patients I see is that our feet are supposed to be widest at the tips of the toes. Brand new piece of information number two is that the Brannock measuring device isn't for athletic shoes, although we use it for that. It's, it's designed for fashion shoes, so because it's going to give you that letter, the width measurement is going to be at the ball. So when I tell that to my patient population who are largely athletes, that's brand new information. So um, 
that sort of sets the stage for the conversation that I have with them surrounding what we're talking about here, which is no matter what treatment I might recommend to them, unless we line up their foundation properly, it's not going to work long term. Um, obviously, I give them a good exam. I do treat people based on my training that I've received, but it's what I've learned um, in the last 20 or so years is that if we can educate people about their footwear, get their feet strong, I hardly ever see them anymore. I hardly ever treat them. Um, my typical patient comes in one or two times, they get the information, they implement it slowly, they get proper footwear, they get strong, they get better. Um, and I'm, I'm, gr I'm grateful for that. That's what I wanna do is pass on the ability to do what we all love to do. Um, so that's, that's kind of the way my approach differs a bit. Yeah, very cool. Is there ever, are there instances that you are putting someone in an orthotic? Because like, I, I feel there is a percentage of the population that just like, there is something structural that they need one for. There is, um, I probably make 12 pair a year and to your point, Brianne, these people do have structural deformity. I can give you one or a couple of examples. Um, and I have a test that I use that I'd happily share with you that helps me determine if somebody needs an orthotic. And I did a video. You might want to um, look at it or link to your, in your show notes for your audience. Um, I called it pronation versus overpronation. And in that video, I do a test that I do with all of my patients. I... I have them stand up and I have them pronate their arches and usually their foot is shaped like a running shoe. It's widest at the ball. I then have them supinate their foot and I take their big toe and I pull their big toe back out into natural alignment, which is wider than the ball. And then I ask them to pronate and probably two to 3% of those people, even when their toe is in natural alignment will still pronate down to the ground. And oftentimes these people have some kind of connective tissue disorder, Ehlers-Danlos, uh, Marfans, and no matter how strong we get them, for a lot of those people, it's not enough. And in those people, I sometimes will make an orthotic, at least temporarily, sometimes long-term. But I have one case that usually I'll present as, as I get asked about orthotics. I had a massage therapist come in and she kept tearing her perineus longus and she had it surgically repaired twice. She was about to tear it a third time and she, somebody said there might be something biomechanical going on. You should probably go over and see Ray McClanahan. So she came over and not to get super technical geeky, you and I would get it, but your audience might not unless they're clinicians. Um, you're, I'm sure you're familiar with four foot valgus and four foot varus. Mm -hmm. And you're probably familiar too with the fact that some people can compensate for those structural problems um, at other joint levels and some cannot. So in podiatry, we call it compensated or uncompensated. We might also call it rigid. Um, so I had this massage therapist that only on her right foot, she had a rigid forefoot valgus. So for the audience, her, her inner part of her foot, her big toe foot, part of her foot sat lower than the outside part of her foot and she couldn't compensate at the other joints. So as soon as she starts walking forward onto her toes, she has a massive supination of her ankle, which then her perineus longus couldn't tolerate. And so she kept rupturing. So I, I did what I, my training is to do is I balanced out her forefoot. I made a nice forefoot post. She literally has her, her lateral forefoot's about five millimeters higher than her medial. All of her symptoms went away no more perineal issues. She comes and gets a new pair of orthotics every five or six years and she's happy. 
So I'm not adamantly opposed to orthotics, but whereas I used to believe maybe 97% of people needed them, I now believe maybe 3% of people need them. Um, and quite frankly, what we do with correct toes in many ways does exactly what an orthotic would do, but it does it naturally. So instead of ignoring the heel elevation on an athletic shoe or the tapering toe box or the toe spring, which will uncouple and destabilize the arch and then have to put an orthotic up under that, um, we put the foot in natural alignment, which for many people will enable them to control their own pronation. But another thing that I've learned over the course of my work is that I no longer predict disability based on arch height. I've seen some of the best athletes in the world have the flattest feet I've ever seen. In fact, um, probably a decade ago, I went out to Shepherdstown, West Virginia for the running clinic put on by a physiotherapist out of Canada by the name of Blaise Dubois. Mm -hmm. And it might've been Blaise or one of the other clinicians was showing, was giving a presentation and they showed the last mile of the Boston Marathon and the runner was, his ankles were practically touching the ground. He was pronating so badly. And so they, he shut off the projector and all the clinicians are like, oh my gosh, make that guy an orthotic, you know? And the presenter said that happens to be Haile Gebri Selassie setting the world record. So um, plus you may be familiar with some of the literature too that's looked at children and how they move and try to correlate foot type with how well they do. And it's not a predictor. So I no longer say, well, you've got a flat foot and that's going to be a problem. You have an higher foot, that's going to be a problem. I, I first look at footwear and I align those people. And I found that when people are aligned and, um, and strong and don't make training errors, that the arch height is so much less pr a predictor. But we also try to build arches. And I've got tons of testimonials of people who had weak arches and then we built them back up. So the idea that, well, the idea that I'm taught in podiatry school, and we literally have a class called pathomechanics, where we literally take each of our individual classmates and we classify their foot type under the assumption that that's what you've got, that's your genetics, that's what you'll always have. <clears throat> Excuse me, well, back when, when they did that to my foot, they called it a plantar flexed first ray, another way of saying a four foot valgus, um, and I still have my class notes and I take those out once in a while. I chuckle because my foot's nothing like that anymore. So the, one of the wonderful things about feet that I love sharing with people is what you have is not necessarily what you have. What you have is what you have in the moment. And if we rebuild you, we can change your structure, um, including muscular hypertrophy, skin hypertrophy, nervous system input. Um, so I, I love sharing with people that you don't have to believe mom and dad or grandpa and grandma dealt you a bad hand of cards, there's a lot you can do with what you're, what, what you are dealt with. Yeah, absolutely. I, I used to have a, a colleague locally who he's a big barefoot guy as well. And he, a very like arch to the ground foot and started working on it. it. Took him a year and a half, but like, now you look at his foot, you wouldn't even know it. And I think he dropped a shoe, like a size and a half in a shoe when he, because you got that arch elevated. So yeah, like flat foot doesn't, yeah, the foot's flat, but it doesn't necessarily mean it can't change either. Yeah, there's there's a couple of rare exceptions like there almost always are. I'm sure you've probably heard of tarsal coalition, mm -hmm. perineal spastic flat foot. That flat foot's not gonna 
get better with this stuff. But again, that's like what 1.6% of the worldwide population. So again, it's rare, but overwhelmingly, I believe most people can rehab themselves and get, and get stronger. Yeah. So when someone comes to you, um, obviously everyone's a case by case basis, but just kind of as a general, like, what are you, what does a plan of care look like for someone who, who comes to you with foot issues? Yeah, it certainly will depend upon what the specific issue is, but we do have sort of a core group of recommendations that would apply to almost everybody. Foot was the big one. I learned that from Dr. Rossi. Um, back then when he wrote about it, we didn't have fancy industry terms like zero drop. He just said, get a flat shoe. And that meant no heel elevation and no rigid toe spring. So if your audience isn't familiar, toe spring being the end of the toe box of the shoe going up higher than the ball of the foot. And that means that we're chronically extended in our toes whenever we're wearing that shoe. So we start the conversation with what is a natural human foot shaped like? We show that their foot isn't shaped like that. We take a picture of every brand new patient for a couple of reasons to show them how their feet are gonna change over years. So we've got a baseline picture of when their foot is deformed and weak. But we also take a picture of them standing on the removable sock liner that comes out of their footwear. Mostly to show them that the shape of their footwear is causing their foot deformity. So they stand on the sock liner and I usually don't even have to say anything. They look at it and they're like, oh, it doesn't fit my foot, you know? And then I, I help them understand that the sock liner is the same shape of the upper part of the shoe. So wherever your foot sits in relationship with the sock liner is how it will fit in the shoe. So we go over the footwear. Um, I certainly give them a good exam, you know, find out what's the, what's the pathology, what's the problem. And then we go through natural rehab, which in my clinic would be a lot of uh, early on, it would be a lot of mobility work. It would be a lot of, um, getting people's posterior chain out to length. You know, um, a lot of my runners are wearing a one and a half inch heel running shoe and they're doing the runner stretch and the wall stretch day in and day out and they're never getting flexible. I got a study on my website where they took two groups of ladies. One group wore a two inch heel, the other group wore a flat shoe and then they did an MRI on them. And the two inch heel group was 14% shorter. So a lot of people come in, they want to get real serious about the strengthening, but if they're restricted in certain areas, I don't start with the strengthening. I help them get the mobility first. So another common area where runners and my patients will lack mobility will be in the, in the, the ball of their feet. So I'll sit them up in the treatment table and if they've worn a heel and a rigid toe spring, their toes will sit like this. So their extensor tendons will be popped out I'll try to flex them. And if they're like I was when I started, they can't flex at all. I don't try to strengthen them because they don't, they can't get their length to tension relationship back to what it should be. So I, I have a lot of folks doing what I call the toe extensor stretch, where you're basically bending your toes in under your foot and you're bringing your length to tension relationship of your plantar intrinsics closer together. Um, so we do a lot of that. We do, we slowly merge people into flat shoes so that they don't have to stretch their calves for the rest of their life. Most of them have some form of toe deformity. So I like to use some form of a spacer, whether it be the correct toes or maybe even a single spacer. Um, I love metatarsal pads. Okay. So um, I have a lot of people come in and they've got ball of the foot problems and they've got maybe calluses down here and they're told they lost their fat pad 
but when the when the extensor tendons dominate the toes from the toe spring the fat goes from the ball to up here and so they're on their bones they're on the capsule they're on the nerve so metatarsal pad is really great at bringing that fat pad back in under so i use a lot of met pads i use toe separators i like toe socks once people have posterior chain flexibility and they've got anterior group flexibility and they can actually flex their toes, then I do all the stuff that I'm assuming you're familiar with, the short foot exercises, the toe spreading exercises. I have them grabbing things with their toes. Um, I have them doing things in their home with their feet, which is what I do. I, I turn on uh, light switches with my feet. I open doors with my feet. Because what I've learned over these years is our toes are a lot like our fingers. We just don't know that because we don't use them. We don't understand what the capacity is, um, but we can relearn all this stuff, but we, we can't unless we practice it, unless we do it. So I also um, recommend people just start going barefoot in their home, barefoot in a controlled surface. Uh, the studies on that and on going into a flat natural shoe are pretty compelling. Um, the arch muscles, as you're probably familiar, will get 10% bigger, you know, just by wearing that minimal shoe. So if the patient wants to know why I want them to wear the unsupported shoe, as they've classically been told, I'd show them the literature. You can either wear the supportive shoe and never develop supportive muscles, or you can slowly wean your way out of that supportive shoe and learn how to support your own body. And what's cool about it is, I mean, it's multi, multiple layers of, they're not spending a ton of money. They're not carrying around extra weight in their shoe. They're not weakening their arch muscles. Um, so it's good all around. It's good for the patient. It's just not that good for the podiatrists. Let's take a quick break to talk about zero shoes. You know, I love being barefoot. I am barefoot as much as possible. But when you're out in public, sometimes that's frowned upon. And when you're walking around on concrete and asphalt in the Phoenix summers, it's highly unsafe. That's when Zero Shoes comes in handy. These shoes allow my feet to be as barefoot as possible, to allow my feet to still work like they were made to work. And the great thing about these shoes is they last. They have a 5,000 mile sole warranty, meaning you rarely have to replace these shoes. And they have a wide range of options. So whether you're looking for sandals, something for casual wear, or something for your sports or work, they have you covered. You can go check them out at zero shoes, that's spelled X-E-R-O shoes.com slash go slash get your fix PT. And you can find all of my partnerships at getyourfixedpt.com slash partners. And now back to our conversation. I was at a seminar not long ago and one of my sports podiatry buddies came up and he's like, you know, Ray, I, I like correct toes and I see that they have worked, but he's going to make $30 profit if he dispenses those versus Blue Cross Blue Shield pays him $1,000 for a pair of orthotics. And he literally just, he's a nice guy, but he literally just told me the economic reality is he's going to make a lot of orthotics. And um, so there's many obstacles, I think, for the average podiatrist to do this kind of work, whereas most of my healing community is physical therapy, chiropractic, body workers, naturopathy, gym 
owners, you know, movement teachers, because when I talk to folks like you and folks like them, most of them don't have, a, they don't have an obstacle in their way to teaching people to get strong. In fact, every physical therapist I know, it's a part of what you guys do every day, teach people how to get strong. Um, when I do talk to the podiatrists, I I'm kind of I kind of rib them a little bit, and I joke with them that the rest of the medical community makes fun of us that we don't want to strengthen our body part. Like, you wouldn't put a you wouldn't wear a neck brace for the rest of your life if you got a whiplash, you know, or a shoulder brace, and it's it really is the same principle. Um, so I think it has it breaks down to what we're taught in school. I think on one level, I think it breaks down to economic reality for practices. As you know, it's expensive to own a business and keep a business going. Um, and I also find a certain um, type of practitioner that doesn't want to go back on what they've done for 30 years, you mm -hmm. know, um, whether it be an ego thing or just like not not willing to change, you know, and this isn't a small change, as you can imagine, this is like a 180. Um, so that's, that's what a day, and I write everything out for the patient. Um, and then I've got a bolded paragraph at the end, which is probably the most important thing that I share with any of them, which is if you do this in a smart controlled fashion, it's gonna work wonderfully for you. You're not gonna spend a bunch of money. You're not gonna need to be in my office. But if you rush it, predictably, a lot of people will get hurt, including today. I have a gentleman who has a stress fracture in his second metatarsal because he did way too much sandal running, you know, um, and he's, and he's a healthy guy. So, so we also spend quite a bit of time talking about transition. You know, um, you're probably familiar with born to run. Mm -hmm. So when that came out, uh, here in Portland where we've got Nike and Adidas, a lot of people are like, well, I'm not going to wear my Nikes anymore. And they either went five brown, five fingers, barefoot or sandal. And nobody taught them this might take six months. This might take a year or longer. And so they did what a lot of people do and broke themselves, not because of an unsupportive shoe, not, not because Vibram Five Fingers is a bad product, but they didn't, nobody taught them about adaptation, you know, mm -hmm. and appropriate training volume. So when I used to practice like a typical podiatrist, this time of year, the weather gets really nice. You know, it, the, around the winter, it's cold and it rains all the time. We're in boots and, and not exercising as much typically. Right now it's glorious outside, it's probably 60 something. People then go to the beach and they either go flip-flop or barefoot. And next thing you know, they've walked four or five miles. Then they come into my office and tell me the next week, oh, my plantar fascia hurts, my Achilles hurts. And I literally cringe that I used to tell them, well, duh, don't ever go in your bare feet. Podiatrists are taught to tell people that. I hear it all the time. I hear people coming in saying, well, I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around what you just described to me because it's the opposite of what my other podiatrist told me to do. My other podiatrist said, the moment I get out of bed, put my orthotic in my shoe and that's how you spend your day. Nowadays, I tell those people that go to the beach that they made a training error. You know, they, they grossly over, over, uh, superseded their body's ability to keep up with the four or five miles of something that it'd be like, I saw you are a CrossFitter, be like you going in and trying to lift your heaviest bench press and not expecting to be sore the next day, you know? Um, so everybody gets a take home forum. Um, we've, got a, we've got a website, we have a shoe store here too, mostly because we would have this conversation and people would go try to find healthy shoes. 
And it's getting better now as the studies are getting better, but literally we got a lot of pushback. In fact, we had running shoe stores telling our patients not to come back to us, that we were, we were hurting them, literally. Um, so we started a shoe store here in the clinic so that once we finish up with our hour conversation, they walk right around the corner, we put a pair of correct toes on, we have them stand on their sock liner, ensure that the fit is appropriate. Um, we have a lot of supporting documents too. We've got a website, we give a ton of books. We give a ton of, like, you're probably familiar with Jay DeSherry. Mm -hmm. So we give Jay's books, um, Mark Kukazella, we give Mark's book. Um, and then typically we'll set people up probably five, six weeks down the road, unless they're doing well. And if they're doing well, we tell them to cancel. And that's been the most gratifying part is recognizing that solid education and slow guidance is really what people need, in my opinion, before treatment. Now that we've had a good exam, we know what the problem is, we've outlined a natural plan of care, I still talk to them about treatment. I still, I, give I gave cortisone today. I prescribe medicine occasionally when it's indicated. I still put people in a boot from time to time. As we just discussed, I do make the occasional orthotic. But overwhelmingly, it's interesting. My first degree is in education. And I, back then, I, I did teach for a year, but then I always wanted to do sports medicine. And I always thought I was going to be a surgeon. And I became that, but it's kind of ironic that now I don't do that anymore. I talk to people. So I really, I, I teach people about shoes, if you, if you really want to know what my day is. And <laughs> I don't get tired of it because, well... Well, because I know the outcomes are going to be good for people that are going to follow through appropriately, but I also love giving brand new information to a sixth decade person and, and just watching them like get curious about it and get interested in it. And like I say, implementing it smartly and seeing them do well, I might see them out on the trail or at the 5k instead of sitting in my treatment room, you know, with some kind of injury. Yeah, that's awesome. Obviously it's different for everybody, but what are your general guidelines when it comes to starting to make that transition to being barefoot to the flat shoes? Cause obviously some people are going to get there a lot faster than others. How does, what's your kind of general guidelines on that? Yeah. I tell people to just begin by going barefoot in your home a little bit. And I literally tell them like three to five minutes the first day. Now a lot of people are already barefoot in their home since they get home from work and they're barefoot till they go home at, to bed. Um, so they're a little bit ahead of the game, but there's also those people who have been told never go barefoot. They're in their orthotics in their home or they're wearing slippers. So for those people, we just literally start having them go barefoot. Um, Michael and Jessica Sandler, who wrote Barefoot Walking and Barefoot Running, recommend if you're going to go outside, which I also recommend people do, don't go any more than 200 yards the first time. So I just get, I start getting people engaging their bare feet to begin with. I also recommend natural shoes. And I tell them, depending upon several variables, it's going to likely be anywhere between six months and a couple of years before they get accustomed to those. Um, and it also depends upon if they have an orthotic. So if they have a supportive shoe and an orthotic and they're not going barefoot at all, those are the ones that are going to take the longest. So if they're already going barefoot in their home, we just accelerate a little bit more and a little bit more. We get them into shoes that hold their feet like bare feet, which would be no heel elevation, widest at the tips of the toes, no rigid toe spring, lightweight and flexible. And then I start having them add, well, most of my people are runners. So 
that I tell them to do it one of two ways, either get your natural shoe and start your warm up, and maybe do two or three minutes and then put on your old shoes. And usually we take all the orthotics and footbeds and arch supports and the sock liner, because just taking the sock liner out of a shoe gives people more width in the bottom of the shoe. Um, it sounds wrong. People think that sock liner is of some kind of value, but it, it's foam. Yeah. You know? So getting it out of there gets people closer to the ground, better proprioception, more volume. Um, the other option that works quite well for us is to have people start their run in their existing shoes and then two to three minutes from the end of the run, switch into their natural shoes and finish the run that way. Um, and then what we do is we just try to do a little bit more at a time. And I really try not to make it super specific for people. I try to get them to understand its lifestyle principles instead of two and a half minutes this day. And, you know, I try to give people a little bit of leeway. Um, and then I ask them to listen to their body. You know, um, things that warm up are great. Things that make them limp are not good. Um, if they feel bad after the workout or even bad the next morning, they might've done a little bit too much. And then I tell them, depending upon your age, your soft tissue flexibility, your injury history, your body symmetry, you could have no issues at all, or you could be back talking to me in three weeks with some kind of new injury, depending upon how you do. Um, and I would say, even though I sit down with people and I outline this really carefully and they have a written piece of paper to take home, um, human nature oftentimes um, is not in alignment with that, you know? especially if, well, some of these people don't know what it feels like to run and not be uncomfortable, you know? And so you give that to a runner who's been injured and wearing these huge, heavy shoes with orthotics, and it's a glorious, joyful thing. And unfortunately, runners being compulsive, and I can say that because I'm one, um, some of them just, you know, they don't, they hear what I said, it's written down for them, but it feels so good that they, a lot of them will make a mistake. In fact, the second most common reason why people come back and see me is not because their injury didn't go away. It's actually the opposite. Their injury went away and they didn't follow a proper transition period. So they did a, they did a training er error, you know. Um, I, I typically will encourage people to think about 10 to 20% increases week to week. And there's actually been some studies looking at that. And when I find people getting well and feeling really good in these lightweight shoes as their feet get stronger, it's very common for people to grossly um, go over 10 to 20%. And then I'll see them back and, and then we'll re rehearse it. The other thing that sometimes happens is people will get well and once they're well, they forget the value of the natural shoes and they'll start trying to go back and merge some of their old shoes in. And that doesn't work too well usually. Um, Another really fascinating thing that happens around here is when we teach people about the shoes, we slowly transition them into their healthy, natural shoes. A lot of them, in fact, it happened today, will try to pull a pair of shoes out of their closet that they literally would wear all day. And now they can't wear it for five minutes because their, their, their body's aware now. Mm -hmm. And I joke with them. I hear it so often. I joke. I say, well, my job's done. Just listen to your body. Um, and I'm not opposed to fashion, Brianne. I tell people dress up from time to time if you want to, but I, I'm careful to share with them that if you go down this natural foot health pathway, your foot brain connection is gonna be so pristine and clear that when you violate that, um, your body will tell you that, you know? And it's cool because a lot of my female patients who maybe might've been more fashion oriented previously, 
once they've had that experience, they just tell me now I know what I was doing to my body and I'm not going to do that anymore. And that's, that's, that's a great outcome there. It's funny you mentioned that. Cause even like, so I'm very much barefoot as much as I can wear shoes when I absolutely have to. And so even gym workouts, I'll, I'll wear shoes for like box jumps or like rope climbs, things like running outside, things like that. I'm like the second those, that workout's over, I'm like, I want those shoes off. Like, and they're zeros. So it's not like I'm wearing like real thick shoes, but I'm like, I just don't like anything on my foot anymore. Isn't it true? It, it's so true. Yeah. It happens. It happens to just about everybody. And I, I think it's a great, excuse me. I think it's a great thing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, it's a good problem to have. <laughs> you bet. Um, I do want to talk, we've talked about like that you've put people in correct toes or that you put all your people in correct toes and the importance of, of them. But um, let's just go in a little bit more detail as far as like why having space between those toes and why taking that into that normal alignment is like so important, even if we are barefoot all the time and out of shoes. Yeah. Um, it's super exciting because there's several different ways that it benefits people. And some of them we actually discovered accidentally along the way. Um, some of them were purposeful and I'll speak to the one that was most purposeful um, and perhaps most exciting too. We, we did a study with, with athletic training where, are you familiar with the starburst excursion test? Yes. Okay. So, so we took three groups of people. We had the first group wearing their typical, maybe Nike, Adidas, typical athletic shoe, higher heel pointed, heavy. And we did the Starburst excursion test. We then put them into LEMS, um, shoe kind of like the Zero, airblown rubber, really flat, really flexible, wide at the ends of the toes. The third group got correct toes and LEMS and they were far and away statistically better at balance than the other two groups were. So we're all excited about this because, you know, movement requires good balance as you know especially running um it's single leg stepping essentially if you will so we got really excited about that but we're also excited about that given how many people fall and break bones and die um so balance is improved when we have that wider base of support this is why in our clinic we don't use the term toe box because the front part of the shoe is not shaped like a box anyway the shoe companies make it like a triangle when in reality, it should be a trapezoid. Mm -hmm. So that wider base of support, uh, and people feel this right away. Um, when they get that wider base of support, they notice that their poses in yoga are better. They notice that their posture is better. So that's one. Um, when you look at the video of pronation versus overpronation, um, you'll see, if you don't already know this, which you probably do, that when the big toe is in alignment, which this is new information too, the big toe is supposed to go straight out from the metatarsal, mm -hmm. but it's not for most people. It's over here like this. Um, that helps about 97% of the people that I look at support their own arch. And that's without strengthening. So you can take a weak person and put their toe in alignment, watch them support their arch, which then only gets better when you strengthen them. So um, you've got better balance, you've got natural alignment. Here's one we found by accident. Um, we have an energy auditor from Spain who bought correct toes. He, he has an infrared camera because when he goes and takes pictures of buildings, the color change dictates where they're losing heat. Okay. 
Yep. And so then he can talk the building manager into hiring the contractor and putting in more insulation or doing better windows or something like that. So he put correct toes on the right foot. This is on our blog. You can find this there. He didn't put one on his left foot. Half an hour later, he took a picture of his right foot. And you know this from, from anatomy, the branch point of our artery, our vein, our lymphatic and our nerve is right at the ball. That's also where we squeeze people with footwear. So we make them widest at the ball and get narrower from there. So when he took a picture of his right foot with the vascular channels opened up, it was five degrees Fahrenheit warmer. So we're working with ski boot company to make ski boots that are shaped like natural feet so that people don't get frostbite. Um, so circulation is a big one, not only inflow, but outflow. A group of researchers in Seattle last year, this is such a cool study. It's in this Journal of Foot and Ankle Research. And I've been thinking about doing a study like this with a Doppler for many years. They beat me to it and they did ultrasound, which is even better. They purposefully put people's big toe in a bunion. So they pushed it towards the second toe, 25 degrees, and then measured ultrasound blood flow into the plantar arch. And it was 22.4% reduced. So these days I'm seeing a lot of people with what used to be called plantar fasciitis. And they're wondering how they can have normal blood flow and get dead tissue in their foot. And so now I think we're better understanding what happens when we put people into fancy fashion athletic shoes. So circulatory inflow, um, not just at the level of the toes but also at the level of the back of the heel. Uh, let's see what else. Intrinsic muscle strengthening might be the most important. You know, so the, when Vibram got sued, I don't remember how long ago it was. You're probably familiar with that. They paid out a class action lawsuit, $5.8 million, because some lady from Boston complained that they claimed medical claims that were not true. Subsequent to that lawsuit, there have been seven studies that I've reviewed, ultrasound and MRI studies that show the arch muscles will get 10% bigger. So uh, all we gotta do is line up the foot and, and challenge it, you know? Um, so muscle hypertrophy is a big one. When we see those people with chronic, what I call fasciopathy or fasciosis, the MRIs of people with that versus people who don't have it show that their intrinsics are weak. So um, balance, circulatory inflow, strength, alignment, um, natural arch support. Um, those are the things that are coming to mind right now. Um, well, it also reverses bunions, reverses what's called a bunionette, reverses hammer toes, neuromas. So we're, we're pinching people up here and um, we're stretching them or pounding them. Um, so those are the benefits of putting our feet into natural alignment. But again, Brianne, for many people, most people, unless they're familiar with some my work or work like this, think that the foot should be widest at the ball. And we look around at each other's feet and most people's feet are widest at the ball. So it's lost on us that we're deformed. And so when I tell the entire podiatry community that all of you are deformed, um, it's an absolute truth, you know? But again, we're not in podiatry, they don't teach us what a natural human foot shape is supposed to be like. Again, as I shared before, we're led to believe that feet need help. You know, and it, and it's not aligning them in the toes. It's usually trying to align the arch using orthotics. Yeah, so fascinating. It's such great information you've shared today, Ray. If someone wants to 
I will put a lot of the specific links on our show notes, but if someone just wants to go through your blog, they have any questions or they want to get some correct toes, where can they find all that information? You bet. Probably best place to go for the blog and the education would be correcttoes.com. If they want to look at some of the literature, they'd go to foot health lectures and studies, a bunch of this stuff has been studied for over a hundred years. It's just not mainstream. Um, I also am very grateful to be teamed up with um, a good group of people. We started a new group called Healthy Feet Alliance. Um, And we've got a community group too called Healthy Feet Community Facebook group. Um, Would love for you to join us, Brianna, your community members. I'll check that Um, out. Another physiotherapy buddy of mine, uh, Nick St. Louis from Ontario, and three other podiatrists and I are starting a natural podiatry group where we're going to we're going to teach podiatrists how to do this. Um, so that's another uh, where another area people might find me in the future. But we're on Instagram, we're on Twitter, we're on all of those. Um, and then certainly we we do peripheral consults for people that might be in other areas of the country whose podiatrist is telling them never go barefoot, wear your orthotic. Um, so we also have a clinical website, but probably the better place to find us would be correctos.com. Awesome. Well, thank you again, Ray, so much for your time. I really appreciate that. This was fun. I enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on, Brianne. And before I close out today, I want to take a moment to talk to you about the foot and ankle fix for runners. Foot and ankle pain is such a common injury with runners, and yet it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be bothering you constantly. It doesn't have to be shutting you down from being able to run. But many times it does because we don't do the right things for it. That is why I created the Foot and Ankle Fix for Runners. It's an online program that will give you the right things to do in order to resolve your foot and ankle issues once and for all and let you really get back to training like you want to. So if you're interested in checking out the Foot and Ankle Fix for Runners, head over to getyourfixpt.com courses and you can see a link for the foot and ankle fix for runners as well as all of my other online programs. Thank you again so much for listening today. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation and until next time, let's go out and be highly functional. <laughs>